Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org. I'm glad you guys are here. Let's welcome those who are watching on the online. They're joining us. It's been a good day. And it is the main event. And even though that picture up there looks probably, it kind of looks scary. I go, you know, if I painted them blue, it'd be Sully from Monsters, Inc. So (laughs) then you'd have to explain to your kids, why is Jesus fighting Sully? But this is a great opportunity because this week really sets forward everything. I mean, how many grew up with Palm Sunday with palms? You guys were given palms and you put that, you know. There was a five-year-old boy who on Palm Sunday got sick, sore throat, but parents had to still go to church, so they got a, got a, a babysitter for him and, because they had responsibilities. And so they came back and they had these palms in their head and the little boy says, Dad, why all the palms? He says, well, we waved them. They waved these when Jesus came, you know, through. And the little kid says, dang, the Sunday I miss, Jesus shows up. (laughs) Yeah, I'm hoping Jesus shows up again today. Because this is Passion Week. Well, that's why they call it Passion Week. Matter of fact, it's one of the few stories that Jesus did that is in all four Gospels. It's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As a matter of fact, two-fifths of Matthew's devoted to this week. Three-fifths of Mark is devoted to it. Luke is one-third. And John, a half of his writing is devoted to this week, Passion Week, that started with what we call Palm Sunday and ends with Easter, their Passover week. And so as we discuss this, I'm hoping that, I mean, this is my, uh, figure, the 25th Palm Sunday I've done. But I, I, there's things I learned this week that I... That's what I love about Scripture. You can read Scripture over and over and over again. And all of a sudden, something new pops off the page. And I'm hoping that this will encourage you, gives you some pause to think about some things. Because we're, we're really talking about expectations this morning. You know, the thing about expectations, you know, someone says, hey, this movie is the greatest movie I've ever seen. And your expectations are high. And you get there, and you didn't laugh once. All right? Your expectations has been shot because they were never met. Or you go to a restaurant and all oh, this food is great and you get there and order and you could have made something better blindfolded at home. I mean, and so you, your expectations are built, but when they're not met, disappointment happens. So the question that I'm going to ask throughout this and leave you with today is this, do you tailor God to meet your expectations or do you tailor your life to meet God's expectations? Now, I know that's, no, of course I wouldn't. How many times do we think God should operate a certain way or do a certain thing? Because I've done a certain thing that God owes me or God should do this because he's the God of heaven. He's the God of the universe. He can do anything he wants. Do we tend to press him into our expectations or do we press ourselves into his? So Passover week, you have to imagine what was going on here in the city. 
Jewish holiday, one of the big ones. There were seven holidays, feast festivals that the Jews were to observe. I mean, you had Passover and the bread, first fruits, Pentecost, trumpet, atonement, and tabernacles. And these were all important. Some you actually had to go to, some you just observed. And for a Jewish male, according to Moses in Deuteronomy, there were three that you had to go to. Had to go to Pentecost, had to go to Passover, and had to go to Tabernacle. So three times a year, you picked up and went uh, to Jerusalem. And so understand, this is the main event for Jerusalem. Some say this time, two million people would have showed up to Passover. Now, it's not like Jerusalem today, obviously much smaller, but if you can imagine the crowds and the chaos and truly the perfect storm that was taking place during this time, because... You, you've got Jesus, obviously, coming in, and then you've got his 12 closest disciples who, this has been three-year buildup, three years of him telling what's going to happen, three years of them still not getting and understanding it. And so you've got the 12 disciples, but then you've got the other disciples who were following him because of the miracles that he'd done. He, you know, he raised Lazarus from the dead, and so there was this great following. Then you had another crowd of people who had heard about Lazarus raising from the dead, who are talking rumors and everything. And then you had just the crowd of people going, what's going on? You know, why, what's all the hubbub about this? And then you had the religious leaders. So you had this perfect storm right now that was taking place. And the religious leaders had already put out word, hey, if you know about Jesus' whereabouts, let us know. They'd already put out a, a contract out on Lazarus. They were intended to kill him again, again which is kind of funny they say again, but we're going to take him out because he's causing too much. I mean, how are you going to deal with a dead guy that rose from the dead and Jesus did it? Let's kill him. And so all this dynamic, that's found in John 12. So all these dynamics are, are taking place during this time. And so what you have here is you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all talk about this event. Some pinpoint certain things. And so we're going to kind of skip around in the story to get the full story because they give a different perspective from that. So we're going we're gonna to hang out mainly in Luke, uh, but we're going to jump to Matthew and John as well. Luke 19, verse 29, starts off this way. As he approached Bethpage in Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever written, untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell them the Lord needs it. Now, Bethany is close to Jerusalem and these two disciples go. We don't know which ones they were. And they were going with instructions, okay, which you got to try to put yourself there in the story. You're one of the guys to go tie, untie a donkey that's not yours. Technically, they're stealing it or borrowing it for a long time. We never hear that it's returned. But if anyone stops you from taking something that's not yours, just say the code word, the Lord has needs of it. And so that's what happens. Verse 32 says those, those who were sent ahead, went ahead, found exactly what they were told. There, there was the donkey. I started untying it. It's owners, plural, Owners asked them, hey, why are you untying the donkey? What are you doing? That's our donkey. Code word, the Lord needs it. Okay, go ahead and take it. 
Now, whether this was a miracle or whether Jesus had set it up beforehand, which very could have been, because he'd been to Jerusalem so many times, hey, guys, I'm going to be here in a couple of weeks. Need your, need your donkey. So I'm going to send some guys to grab it. They'll just say, Lord needs it. And they were good. Nothing happened. Which you got to imagine the conversation as they're walking. Go, did that go down exactly how that went? I mean, that went down exactly what Jesus, how Jesus said it. But here's the important part of this whole story. It's Jesus asserting this authority really for the first time you're going to see here that the Lord has need of it. He's been backing away off, I'm the king. They want to make him king. They want to do all this stuff. He's kind of not taking that mantle, even though it's his. He's always squashed that, squashed that. Not this week. This week, it's all going to come out. It's the main event. And why a donkey? Matthew answers us that que- answers that question. Matthew twenty one. It says this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Now, he's going to quote here Zechariah nine nine. Say to the daughter of Zion, "See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey." Now. Again, this is Jesus not backing away of what he was claiming here, that he was the king. Remember when the wise men came looking for Jesus, they were looking for the king of the Jews. And now he gets a donkey. Now, kings, normally when they would ride in on a procession, they ride in a victory, they would ride a white horse. We see that. We talked about that in Revelation when Jesus comes right. No, but this is a donkey. And the reason the donkey is because it's fulfilling this. It's him riding as declaring his kingship. Matter of fact, Zechariah 9.10, the next verse there in Zechariah says this. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations, his rule extend and a sea to sea from the river to the ends of the earth. Now remember the Jews, everyone was waiting for this Messiah, this king to come in to kick the Romans out, to restore the kingdom of David. But he comes riding in a donkey, which is saying this is a kingdom of peace. I'm bringing ultimate peace here. And he doesn't back away from that. This Jesus, this Nazarene, this backwater guy who's, you know, his, he was born under legitimate, illegitimate reasons and things, and he was just a carpenter, now purposefully gets on a donkey, asks for a donkey. This is all his doing this, saying, I have need of this. So verse 35 of Luke 19 says, then they brought it to Jesus, they threw cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. So the disciples were all, I mean, their expectation, it's finally happening. The kingdom's here. He's, he's going to take, take the reins. It's going to happen. Now, I mean, he's been alluding to it. He keeps saying, shh, shh, shh. but now it's taking place. Expectations are arising. And Jesus, at that moment, sends a ball in motion on this Monday that would eventually crush him on Friday. Expectations were high. Do we tailor God to meet our expectations? Because that's what the people were doing. 
Or do we tailor our life to meet God's expectations? Verse 37 says in Luke 19, when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. So now they're rolling out the red carpet. Matter of fact, they're going to treat him like royalty. In Matthew 21, it, it says that they not only laid out uh, their clothes on the ground for the donkey, Jesus on the donkey to ride on, they cut palm branches off. And palm branches were used really for two things, to wave and worship, and they were used to declare victory, triumph. And so they're waving these palm branches and they're throwing it on the ground for, for this. And again, what's interesting is, is that this crowd, you know, he's claiming to be king that he was saying, I'm not kings months ago, but now he's taking it all for himself. And literally, palm branches were called hosannas. And the people began to cry out. As a matter of fact, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is a kind of all the things that was said in those gospels, what people were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory the highest, blessed are the, is the king of Israel. And you have to try to, so how, do we, how do I gain this? And I had this thought this morning, it just hit me, row, row, row. You know the song, row, row, row your boat, you know? And then you start, row, row, row your boat, and you guys start, and we kind of get this round thing going. I want to do this with that, this right here, okay? I, I'm going to point, and I want you guys to start saying this. And right about here, I'm going to point, and I want you guys to start at the top. Then I'm going to point, I want you guys to start at the top. And those people at home watching, you need to do it at home. I'm talking to you, Norris, my, my, my brother-in-law, Norris, sitting in Texas. And, and, and then there's, I got Jim and Mary in Oregon. I saw that you signed in. I want you doing this at home, all right? So I want you to, let's, let's do this. I don't want you to just say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Son of David. Blessed is. I want you to pretend for a moment that you're actually there, all right? That w with enthusiasm, what you would say, okay? You guys ready? Do I need any other instruction? All right, do you, you guys? Okay, here we go. You guys are starting. Go! Come on! This is the Lord coming! How's better? All right. I mean, that's, I imagine people just saying different things over and over. Just what is going on, how loud it is. And Jesus just kind of doing the princess wave as he's going. Now, they're quoting from Psalm 118 when they're saying this. Psalm 118, 30, 25 says, O Lord, save us. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. Now, that was a statement that was given to people. That was what you said to someone who was coming from the temple. But now, this is Jesus coming in. And all the people are saying this. As a matter of fact, Matthew says, Matthew 21.10 says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Can you imagine? Two million people. The whole city was stirred. 
I mean, the whole city was stirred when his birth, remember? I mean, Herod was upset. The city was upset. It was all disturbed and troubled, it says. But now the city is a bus. What's going on? Who is this? This is the one. This is the one who raised Lazarus. This, and the word's just spreading. And what I love about it, that John actually says this because he's included himself. He's honest. John 12, 16. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about and that they had done for him these things were about him. They didn't understand. They participated. <laughs> they just didn't understand. Maybe some of you guys are in that spot where you participate, you just don't quite understand why yet. That was the disciples. So don't worry. I mean, they hung out with Jesus for three years and they didn't get it still. There's hope for us all, okay? Even after the resurrection, they doubted. But here's the thing about Jesus. He, he knew that they didn't understand. And he was patient. And before we go, those oh, stupid disciples. Really? How many times have you read the scriptures and then all of a sudden it hits the fan and you're going, I doubt. I don't think God's going to show up. I don't do You just read what the word said. Why are you doubting? God still loves us through those times. Disciples finally get it. And there are times, remember when you get that light bulb going, ding, I get it. I understand now. Okay, I get it, God, thank you. He's been patient with you just like he was patient with them. We're no different than they were. I just love the fact that John includes himself. <laughs> we didn't understand. Luke 19 verse 39 says, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to shut up because they knew what he was claiming. They knew what was going on. They understood the scriptures better than everyone yelling, shouting and yelling. They knew exactly what was going on. And this is, this is one of those sections of scripture. I've read this. I can't tell you how many times. I mean, I even asked Jeff, hey, there's a song about, you know, Ron Canoli. I'm not going to let no rock out, out praise me, you know, type thing. It's based on this verse. I will tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, I have no doubt that God can make stones speak. I, because God's God. He can do anything he wants. He made a donkey talk. He, he can do whatever he wants. He's God, right? I mean, so I have no doubt that he could have been saying, hey, these, these rocks are going to start crying out. But it goes farther than that. And that, that that's why I love scripture. I love how it ties everything together. Because you have to understand rocks, stones. I mean, throughout the Psalms, it says the trees will wave and clap their hands. It says the heavens will declare his glory. I mean, so there's always that phraseology. So it's not too far to reach the, right? the stones will even cry out. But stones in the Bible have a lot more meaning, especially if you're a Jew. In Genesis 31, there's a story told of Jacob. Jacob leaves Esau, afraid for his life, hangs out with his uncle Laban, and he works for him. He ends up marrying two of his daughters, and all of a sudden, a dream, God tells him, you need to go back. 
And so he picks up, leaves without telling Grandpa Laban that what was going on. And so as he, he's leaving, Grandpa wakes up and says, wait a minute, where's my kids? Where's my grandchildren? And any of us grandparents know exactly what we've been doing. And we, we go chasing. Oh, hey, King, I want to kiss. I want to see you. And so that's what he does. He chases after them. He finds them. They think it's going to be a battle, the war. There's nothing happening. They all of a sudden came to, to agreement. And in Genesis 31, it says this, come down. Let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a what? Witness. Hold on to that word. Between us. So Jacob took a what? Stone. And set it up as a pillar. Those three words, I need you to remember now. He said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took some stones and piled them in a heap. And they ate there by the by the heap. So they had a little, little lunch right there, a little picnic. Laban called it, I'm not even going to try to pronounce that word, and Jacob, Jacob called it Galad. Because Laban said, this heap is a witness, because that's exactly what that word means. The heap is a witness between you and me today. Throughout the Old Testament, you have the Jews stacking up stones as a witness to what has happened. And so, whether it be Joshua, whether it would be, stones were stacked up, and they were stacked up in a heap, and these stones were pillars, called pillars. Not pillars like there's going to bear weight of something. These pillars bear witness of something. Okay. No, just hold on here. Watch this. Listen. <laughs> I love that. So, Jesus is on the road at the Mount of Olives. And he's descending down. The crowds are doing this. And the Pharisees tell Jesus, tell your disciples to shut up. And Jesus, I can't because these stones. If you were to stand on the wall of Jerusalem and look across, there's a valley and see the Mount of Olives that's on the other side of that. The Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane would be here on your left. On your right side, on the other side of the road is a cemetery. It's 3,000 years old. I went to a cemetery yesterday. You heard me say that. No one bugs you in a cemetery. It's a beautiful ride. It's a beautiful cemetery out in Clements, out in the middle of nowhere. It's gorgeous. And I walk in there, you do see what most, you know, you had great headstones, you got flowers, you got candles. But in a Jewish cemetery, you don't see flowers. You don't see candles. You see stones. Stones are placed on the tombs as a witness that you'll be remembered. Your testimony will go on. That you won't be forgotten. We'll continue to tell your stories. And so, picture this now. Jesus is riding down the road. Palm. On his right is the Garden of Gethsemane. We know what happened there. It happened during Passion Week. To his left is the cemetery. And as these Pharisees are calling out, make your disciples shut up <laughs> if they don't 
these stones will cry out. And every Jew there knew what that meant. But what makes this story even cooler <laughs> is that what happens at the end of the week, because it's just a random passage, because at the end of the week in Matthew, it says when Jesus rose, in Matthew 27:52 it says the tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy ones who had died raised to life and went into the city of Jerusalem the same path that Jesus took to give testimony of what took place. So I don't think they're like living dead walking to your you know here's uncle Bob whoa that those holy ones those stones that gave witness truth of God are not now walking about giving testimony. I'm in the process of writing a play right now about those. I think they're still here. Wouldn't that be cool if they're still walking around giving testimony for the last 2,000 years? All right. That'll be next Easter. Okay. But here's the thing about the stones, guys. Now, keep that in mind because when Peter writes, 1 Peter 2, 5, you also are what? Living stones. You're my witness. You're my testimony. You're the ones that when people look at you, I, I remember. That's why when someone is gone, we still tell their story. It's still there. When we're going through Revelation, Revelation 3, 12, him who overcomes, I will make a what? Pillar. He's not saying, okay, I'm going to make you like this and you're in my temple holding up all this. That's not what it is. You're that stack of rocks giving testimony, my stones. They're giving testimony about me. Anyway, I, I thought that was pretty cool this week. Learning. I was just going, I love, I mean, I've read, I, I can't tell you how many times I've read that passage. And all of a sudden, bam, that's the amazing thing about the word. John 12, 19 says, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. But in a few days, that changes. In a few days, his own disciples, one will betray him, one will deny him, the rest will scatter. In a few days, the same crowd who was calling out Hosanna will be saying, crucify him. Why? Expectations were met. Kings don't get crucified. Again, we have certain expectations. And do we tailor God to meet those? And when he fails, we're disappointed in God. Or do we tailor our life to meet God's expectations? Jesus had no problem gathering crowds. Usually the crowds gather because he was doing something for them. He was feeding them. He was healing them. He was doing something. I mean, they came to Jesus because they needed something. Like most of us. I'm not saying that's wrong that we come to Jesus for things. I mean, I go to him. I ask him. I, I, I ask him for many things. Um, 
But when Jesus tells the people what he expects of them, then they run for cover. Story in John where all the disciples, he says some teachings, and they, it says, and all the disciples left them. But the 12. And what you don't see is Jesus say, sorry guys, too big of an expectation on you guys. Let, let, me, let me bring that down a bit. Let me, let me, let me, let me just take away the four of those things. I'll just add these that you need to do. Never did that. He did look at his own 12 and say, are you going to leave too? See, you leave when your expectations have not been met. But we're supposed to be formed in what God's expectations are for us, not us of his. And so this Passion Week, what I encourage you to do is that, and in your notes, all, all the passages are there that talk about the Passion Week. Read that. Read through this week. On Friday, we're going to have a Good Friday service. We're going to be over at Real Life Church. I mean, the churches are gathering to do that at noon. Done this every year for a long time, and that's Friday. That's the day Christ was crucified. We come back to Easter, celebrate, because it's about him rising from the dead, which that is next Sunday. I encourage you, you who are his stones, you who are his witnesses, you who God has moved in your life is to give testimony. Take the opportunity this week. Maybe to invite them to just watch online if they don't feel comfortable walking in the church. I mean, how many people you know that said, well, if I walked in the church, you know, they'll be coming crumbling down. Say, you know, my pastor's got two hard hats in his office. He'll give you uh, if, that, if you're afraid of that. And I do, and I've offered those to people that have said that. Or bring them. How about if I come by? Let's come to church with me on Sunday. Kind of a big day. Be the witnesses that God says, because <laughs> you are my living stones in my temple, you're the pillars. Because you're the ones that are called to give testimony. But ask yourself as well. Do I tailor God to meet my expectations? And if so, God, how do I do that? Or do I tailor me to meet God's expectations? Because there's only one right answer to that. Father in heaven, I thank you for your goodness to us. I thank you that you got us here, got us dressed, which means you're not done with us. I thank you that you put up with our doubts and our misunderstanding when we just don't get it. But I thank you when the light goes on and all of a sudden we remember. May we form ourselves into the expectation, into the image, into the likeness that you would have for us. May we truly be that pile of stones that give witness to the goodness of what you have done. One that we won't forget. 
but we can tell others as well. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.